This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Every day we make purchases. We choose to buy something at one place and not another. We pick this product over that one. And that purchase data, what we buy and even what we don't, is extremely valuable, especially to marketers. Danny Cushion is the CMO of Cardlytics, a digital advertising platform that serves some of the largest banks around the world and offers insights into the anonymized purchase data of more than 140 million people. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Danny explains how Cardlytics gathers this anonymous data securely and then delivers it to banking partners to help them build out their cashback offers, reward systems, and other marketing campaigns. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by a special guest, Danny, what's going on? Hi, how you doing? Great to speak to you. Yeah, it's great to have you on today. We are going to be talking about everything going on at Cardlytics. We're going to get into your background. So let's do it. How did you get started in marketing in the first place? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm looking into the Wayback Machine. Um, I, you know, I actually started in, in the sports marketing realm. Um, I ended up studying marketing at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania. And uh, I'm always loved the combination of the science side and the art side and being able to use both sides of your brain. So that was always super interesting to me. Um, the idea to try to be able to distill complex, you know, complex concepts into something that helped people understand what would be, you know, potentially good for them. And um, I just always found marketing was a really, really interesting field. Started my career at Major League Soccer and then worked in sports marketing for a long time. Um, and then after a while, um, after I had some some kids and realized I didn't want to be on the road all the time, as amazing as going to the MLB World Series is every year, it's, uh, I ended up getting into the technology world. And um, that's been great, actually, that being able to, to be a marketer in technology, in a technology and data and analytics um, space, is super interesting because it's really hard to try to boil down what Um, technology can do for people in a way that is human and relatable and makes sense. So I've been in, you know, in the technology world for, you know, 10 plus, 15 plus years now. And um, I've been at Cardlytics for five years. I joined as CMO um, in uh, 2015 and moved my family to Atlanta, Georgia, which is always interesting for a New Yorker to live in the South, but um, we're a global company as well. So lots of interesting folks to work with and you know, I've always found marketing to be a really interesting place where you get to touch a lot of stuff and really get to have a finger on the pulse of what consumers need and and how what you do as a business can help them. So I've always I've been a marketer since, you know, since college and still going, still love it. A fellow Patriot League uh, alumnus. Patriot League. <laughs> yeah, I've actually <laughs> been to Lehigh a couple times. Have you? Yeah. Where, where did you um, go? Because I went to West Point, so uh, oh great. So we we yeah, so we would I would travel with the basketball team, and uh, yeah. not on the basketball team, but uh, but I would well, go I to a lot there. of games. I played soccer. I played soccer at West Point um, every other year, and it's a super intimidating environment. So I have a lot of I have a lot of respect for Army, and my dad was in the Army, so I appreciate appreciate what you all do. 
I, that's glad I'm, I'm glad that you said that it was is intimidating. That was what we were going for. Uh, it didn't always show up on the uh, sports field, but we were probably we we've been good at soccer over the years. So uh, basketball. Yeah, you've got very good tough. team. Yeah, a little tough to get tall people though. Uh, not a lot of uh, not a lot of tall people in the military. Not not good to be tall. But tough as nails. Tough as yeah, nails. Yeah, there you go. A lot of a uh, lot of six foot five centers. Um, <laughs> So, okay, I, I'm so curious for our listeners, you know, who don't know about Cardlytics, it's, it seems like, you know, it, it is one of those companies that is doing so much with marketing leaders, um, you know, not always in the spotlight per se, but behind a lot of, uh, a lot of great companies in retail and banking yeah. and places like that. Can you share a yeah. little bit about what the company does? Definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. I think as a CMO of a company who is a, a B2B company, and, uh, you know, I would class this as an ingredient brand, perhaps. It's always a little tricky when you address marketers. And we work with, you know, a bunch of the biggest brands in the world. Um, but consumers don't necessarily know our name because we're not a, we're not a BDC-facing brand. So, you know, we're a company that's been around about 12 years now. Um, we're now a public company uh, traded on the NASDAQ, CDLX, which is interesting. We went public a couple of years ago. And as a company, we are we are probably one of the largest digital advertising platforms that you may never have heard of. You know, we, um, we run targeted advertiser, advertiser funded offers within banks native environments. So if you think of like a bank of America or a, a chase or a Wells Fargo or a Lloyd's and Santander in the UK, um, some of the biggest banks in the world rely on us to help bring cashback offers to their consumers you know, but as a result, we have a really interesting view into um, aggregated and anonymized purchase data, which helps us help marketers. So really what we're doing for marketers is we're helping them understand how do consumers buy when they're not buying with them. You know, we see about $3 trillion in spend every year across our bank partners. So you think about that, break that down. That's like uh, what, 6 million bucks a minute. So, you know, the scale of what we see from a consumer purchase behavior um, standpoint is, is phenomenal. So we use that to help our marketing partners understand what is happening with consumer spend. And I think what's the most interesting part of it is that we then use that to help create campaigns for them, advertising campaigns um, that run through our bank partners, mobile apps and online banking. And so you know, if you're to think about, you know, you're a, you're a major retailer and you want to try to provide something, some marketing to a consumer who's in using their native bank app and thinking about how to use their money and spend their money, um, we can present, you know, relevant based on past purchase history ads inside of a bank channel, which, you know, interestingly now doesn't have any fraud. It's super brand safe because you're not going to get brands that you don't trust next to your own brand. And over time, over the last 12 years, we've really grown our scale immensely. So it starts out with, you know, a handful of smaller bank partners and then grows and grows. And we now reach about you know, over 140 million bank customers, which, you know, when you think about it, that actually reaches more people in the U.S. than Pinterest or Snap or Twitter. So all really well-known consumer brands, but we're reaching bank customers at a really good scale. And, you know, we're helping banks, customers save money on stuff they like to buy as well. So it's an interesting place to be. It's always an interesting marketing challenge to market a company and, um, you know, help other, like when other businesses win, we win, which is, I've always loved that about B2B marketing. 
Um, but it's always an interesting challenge when, you know, the brand name is not as well known because we want our bank's names to be out there with consumers, not our own. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you about marketing a product that's white label. You know, you see so yeah. much of uh, a lot of these like, you know, B2C companies and things like that, that have their branding in the solution, which I always find silly, whether it's a pop-up or something like that, it's like powered by blank. Yeah. You know, obviously companies like, you know, Dropbox and places like that have use that for, you know, viral growth coefficients and different things. But when you're marketing a white label solution, it's totally different. It's actually the exact yeah. opposite. And sometimes they yeah. don't even want people to know. Uh, so I'm curious, how, yeah. do you, how do you go about that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, it can be a challenge. You know, you think about who we're competing with from an advertising standpoint. Again, if we're working with some of the, some of the biggest brands in the world to help them understand, uh, you know, how to, how to reach consumers in a way that's relevant, we're competing against Facebook or competing against Google or competing against these big owned and operated platforms that do have that brand halo of also reaching consumers. So it can certainly be a challenge. Um, I think what we've found works really, really well is just to have direct sea level and whatever level matters conversations with, you know, our target clients and to be super prescriptive and targeted around what are the problems that we can solve for folks. So uh, I'll give you an example. I mean, we do a fair bit of thought leadership and put out what we know and the kind of problems we can solve for um, the accounts that matter most for us. And we have, a, we have an interesting view of um, who we can help the most because we can see exactly what, you know, what spend is for Walmart or what spend is for Target on any given day or what spend is, you know, online and in store for name it, like any, any number of players. Um, so I think we have such a differentiated solution that the way we go to market is largely through with a pretty big and well, well-educated consultative sales team. Um, we do put out a lot of research, like what I think we'll, we'll talk about here in a little bit, like our state of spend series that helps folks understand, you know, what is happening with consumer behavior. We have a view like no one else. So I think what we're able to bring to bear for our clients you know, how we go to market is largely by leaning on what we know and what problems we can help them with. Um, and then, you know, once you get the ball rolling, if you have clients tell other clients about us, you have folks who move companies and bring us with them no matter where they go, because we, they know it's a solution that really truly drives measurable incremental sales. So, you know, we're in a good groove right now, but it's, uh, it's funny. It's always something that we talk about as a team as to how do you actually get more visibility you know, in the channels that matter, in the places where, you know, your intended clients live in a way that will resonate them. Like what keeps, what keeps CMO XYZ up at night? Um, we just make sure that we are there and offering help um, in a way that, that will help them grow their business, particularly now. I mean, particularly now, there are a lot of people in need for what do I do? Like what is happening and what do I do and how do I navigate what's going on? And we have a really compelling solution. So that, that certainly helps. Well, another thing is that you need to anonymize some of your, your case studies and your success stories. Mm -hmm. um, you yeah. know, with so much of customer success being part of this new marketing uh, toolkit, perhaps, I mean, definitely a, a shift in how people market, um, you know, putting your customer first in your marketing materials it's a little tough to do that when you can't share certain things. Um, how do you look at that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we're always, um, uh, you know, we, we just relaunched our website, uh, cardlytics.com, and we do have some, some great 
you know, client case studies on there. But you're right. In many cases, we blind a lot, um, largely because I think, you know, we at Carlytics have always known that using, you know, it sounds like such a coined term, but um, purchase intelligence. So like really understanding what is happening on the purchase side to be the next wave of how do you know whether you're reaching the right people, targeting the right people when they're ready to receive ads? How do you know it really worked with in-store and online purchases? We've always known that's super powerful. Um, I think our best clients know it, but there is a scenario sometimes where our best clients certainly are hesitant to, to share their best kept secret, you know, against the competition. Now we're an open platform, right? We are not, um, we don't do, you know, single category deals. We don't do exclusivity. Um, we're an open platform, like, like many other walled gardens that you would, um, that you would think of. Um, but yeah, I think once you actually find, like once you get the ball rolling and it doesn't feel like so heavy and ask, uh, we have a lot of partners who will actually do advocating for us and on, on our behalf, you know, at smaller events and smaller forums with smaller round tables where they don't feel like they're giving away their best kept secret, but they know how impactful it's been for their business and in non-competitive arenas um, are super happy to get up there and spend time with us and advocate for us because they know it can be really, really impactful and it has been impactful for their businesses. So um, it's picking and choosing. And I think once you land, once you land some, it's easier to land some more. I think a lot of it is built on the great relationships that our, um, you know, our sales and service teams have with our clients too. And across marketing too. And we spend a lot of time with, you know, getting to know our clients and um, just building that trust that that helps. It has to come from a place of, you know, they're not, they're not just making something up about us. They're willing to show their hand a little bit because they realize it can help other marketers. Obviously, in this new world, data is the most critical thing for marketers to try to figure out. You know, Cardletics kind of, we, we were chatting beforehand, uh, this idea of, of being a, you know, a solution for marketers versus a data company, which is kind of, you know, those two things can, can feel like they're one in the same these days because so much of marketing yeah. is data. Like, how do you see that relationship? And then what are some examples of like ways that your customers are using data for, to drive success? That's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think since, um, since our, our channel, if you will, since our advertising channel is represented by our bank's names. Like if you go in and you see our advertising, it's in Bank America deals or it's in, um, you know, Chase offers or it's in, it's, it is white labeled, as you said. I think, you know, one of the challenges we face as a company is a lot of people think we're just a data company and that's certainly not the case. I mean, we use our purchase data to help our marketing clients. Um, we don't sell data. Um, we don't, we're not a data shop, but I think what's interesting, it is so intricately tied Ian, honestly, because you, if you don't, if you're not using data to figure out how to make sure that you're reaching people who are, you know, receptive to, or have some kind of higher propensity to buy your advertising, you're just still spraying and praying. And I think there's, there've been ways to get to it in the past, right? There's click-through rates are always an interesting, like, is there any kind of signal, um, you know, location, Attempts also to say, well, maybe there's someone who shows intent to go. But honestly, I think, you know, our saying at Carlytics is there's no real better indicator of whether someone is going to buy than whether they ha have bought. Um, and so for us, it's, it's really one of the same. I think, you know, the way that we work with our clients and, you know, from a client perspective, we're working with marketers in retail, um, in restaurants, in 
travel companies, you know, it's, it's a tough space right now, obviously, but, um, you know, e-com direct folks too. So D2C companies, we're working with grocery, big grocery players. And so any of the, any of the folks that you could picture um, doing, you know, large scale marketing campaigns, the way that we work with them is we help them understand where their customers are not shopping or where they're shop where they're shopping, excuse me, when they're not shopping with them. So there's sort of this three-legged stool of how we work with our clients. We help them understand the full share of wallet view of, all right, you know, pet retailers, somebody spent with you one time last month. You may or may think that's good, but they've spent X dollars across the entire category in the last month. And you can really start to tease out what you understand of who you're trying to target um, by that. Um, and I'll come back and give an example in a minute. Um, the second leg of the stool is our ability to actually act on that data. So it's nice to sort of know that stuff, but unless you can actually act on it, it's super, super hard to actually drive growth and drive change. So like we use our past purchase history, the targeting that we have to be able to go in and present offers. So what you would see in your bank app is different than what I see is different than what my husband would see is different than what someone else would see, because it's all really based down on what's going to be relevant for me. So the ability to really market to the people that matter most is amazing. And then the third leg of stool and how we work with clients is to actually have true deterministic measurement down to the penny of what did our campaigns drive. So, you know, it's, it's, Easy enough, really, to figure out if digital marketing is driving online spend. Really hard to figure out whether you are driving in-store spend from a digital ad unless you actually have the purchase data on the back end. So really, that three-legged stool is how we work with our marketing clients. Um, the channel, you know, that we have is, again, being fraud-free and at scale in a safe environment is just as important as the data. So they're so intricately linked. I think, you know, now what we're seeing is the spend landscape has changed so significantly this year in 2020 that what, what data we actually have to bring to bear has really changed the game for a lot of our marketing clients. And um, a couple examples, there are clients of ours who are in a complete rise category. So you know, since COVID-19 hit category spending for them, like streaming and telco and on-demand fitness has gone through the roof. Online grocery pickup and delivery, it's gone through the roof. And so what we're actually helping them do, they've got all the customers they can handle in some cases. It's now using the data that we have to shift and try to figure out, okay, you've had this huge, huge surge in like acquired customers how do you now retain them? And so we have um, what we call our, our COVID dashboard, um, not terribly cleverly branded or named, but internally we use this thing to be able to look at spend on a week by week basis and say, all right, as certain areas of the country open up and these clients of ours who have um, acquired a number of customers, as customers are starting to get more comfortable going back into in-store locations and perhaps returning to their their normal way of shopping, how do these folks who have gotten customers, new customers through the roof, how do they hold on to them? How do they change that consumer behavior and spending for good? And the way that we do that, we work with them to look at the segments where perhaps there's a city opening up and you make sure that you target that customer base appropriately to try to make sure that it's super compelling for them to keep driving the next sale and driving the next sale instead of having them just revert back to their own past um, you know, their past purchase history. So like, that's one example. 
Um, you know, I think another way, if you look at the clients of ours who have been hit really, really hard this year, um, I mean, I won't even get into travel because that's a whole other ball of wax, but you look at folks like, you know, retail players who have a heavy in-store reliance, or you look at the uh, restaurants, like in, in restaurant dining, how do we help make sure that they understand where spend is going, when it might be starting to trend back, so that, quite honestly, they want to market in a way that's appropriate and not pushing people into an unsafe place. They don't want to be tone deaf. None of us as marketers want to be tone deaf and just shoving marketing down people's throats. We want to try to offer up something of interest and when you're ready to spend in that category. So, you know, another example, a major, a major coffee retailer that we work with, we've been working very, very closely with um, since the beginning of the year when, when uh, coronavirus hit, they paused all of the marketing, all of it, except for a few segments with us because we can really make sure that we're only reaching the people that are actively spending in that category already. So you think about it, that's, you know, active responders, it's, um, you know, required, required people. It might be people going to the hospital. It's, um, you know, the, the necessary workers. So how do we make sure that they're only marketing to those individuals and in places where we're able to change the messaging to talk about what they're doing from an operational standpoint, like promoting drive-through or making it really easy. And that allowed them to feel good about offering up, you know, cashback rewards, quite honestly, in a way that people need money right now on the stuff they want to buy and on, on the stuff that they need to buy. So it felt good for them. Like that's one example. We've been able to help them figure out how do you t- return safely from this thing? How do you come out the other side of this crazy, crazy time, but also make sure that you're reaching your customers in a way that is not tone deaf, that is responsible, and that is super targeted so that it is, um, it is done well. So just a couple examples there of you know, how we work with folks now. Yeah, I'm curious. You talked about the state of spend. Uh, what is this initiative? Is it a marketing initiative? Is it like company-wide? Uh, and why'd you create this? Yeah, great question. So it actually started a lot of what we do at Cardlytics. We can certainly geek out on our data. And it's always funny because we you know, we're this really big advertising platform that is powered by some incredible data. And so we have a great um, in-house analytics and data science team who um, created this dashboard as soon as we started to see things happening. And I will say, you know, mid-March, mid-February, mid-March, we could really, really start to see things happening already. And by things, I mean pretty drastic changes in spend. You know, pretty, you could really start to see like leading indicators of, okay, something is happening here. So our analytics team actually has set up this, this dashboard that um, our internal teams can all pull from, that they work very closely with marketing, with sales, with our service teams, so that we can pull um, and, and understand for marketing, we look at it at an industry level, like we're never going to name names in um, in broader conversation, but our client services teams can help our clients understand, okay, QSR, this is what's happening in your space right now. This is how to help think about how to actually market through this time. Um, so it actually started as an analytics-led effort. And, um, you know, we the state of spend that we've been putting out recently is we've put out a, a few issues now. And um, it's really meant to to capture and put out broader industry review stuff of 
what's happening. And so the State of Spend Reports is a marketing initiative initiative built on a company-wide initiative to help our clients, you know, rise, retain, and return um, through this crazy time. You know, we are we are right now interestingly looking at how is spend starting to trend back in the right direction. And so a lot of what we've included in the, you know, the research reports that we've put out or the thought leadership that we've put out is just to do a little bit of a double tap on certain categories like e-com and what does it look like for an e-com brand right now? You know, what does it look like for office supplies, you know, being up 93% year over year or online grocery being up 146% year over year, like beauty. It's super interesting to see online beauty orders up 41% year over year at any given time. So super interesting to look at. So then we use it with our clients and, and really the broader economy to help and marketers to help figure out what does it mean for me? How do I come through in a way that's stronger? You know, for instance, some of the e-com stuff that we've looked at, you can see that the e-commerce growth that's been driven in the last couple of months, and there's been a huge growth in some of the smaller DMAs across the country, which if you think about it, maybe not surprising because perhaps the bigger DMAs had easier access to getting stuff, you know, perhaps were maybe a little further ahead already in their online shopping behavior. But I think what's going to be interesting with the state of spend series that we're putting out and regularly over time now is to see what happens to consumer behavior long-term. Right. What, how, how does how does how you shop now differ from it did a week ago, a month ago? What will it look like in six months? Um, and that is really the intent of what we've been doing with these these research reports. So we can help marketers try to figure out what the heck's going on. Um, we have a really interesting view and are able to cut it a bunch of different ways. And then we have been sharing some case studies in there, too. So if you're a marketer and you're looking at this and saying, well, OK, got sort of get it. What does this mean for me? You can actually learn from how others are actually um, working with us to try to, to come out the other side and maintain or, or regain spend from consumers. Um, there are a lot of companies going out of business right now. And, you know, I think we've always taken it really seriously at Carlytics that what we do to help marketers understand and then market their businesses effectively is it's what we live for. It's what we've always been about. So started as analytics has become company wide and, and we've now been able to sort of spread the good word through marketing. Do you have a favorite campaign that you've run over the last five years? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, marketing campaign or a client who has run with us? Oh, it could be either. That's fun. Uh, either one or one of each. You know, I think, honestly, I think some of them are pretty recent, quite honestly. And I've been at the company for about five years. So we've gone, gone through a lot of change in that time. I think... Um, you know, going through the IPO with the company is always an interesting and, and super compelling thing because figuring out, you know, we've always been about marketing to marketers, but also figuring out how to layer in a, uh, you know, an overlay so that what you do is completely and um, really fully understood by investors is also super interesting. I think some of the stuff that we've been doing recently, like we're doing some really great uh, account-based marketing campaigns where we're going from our targeted accounts list and working really, really closely with our, our sales, um, you know, our sales team and our sales development reps to figure out what matters to the clients that we're trying to address, particularly now. And so we've been doing these sort of state of spend type ads um, specifically targeted to, you know, directors or VP or above largely LinkedIn, but looking to expand it through other platforms. And, 
And I love that kind of, honestly, I love that kind of advertising and I love those kinds of marketing campaigns because it requires us as a team to move really quickly and make sure that what we're presenting to our prospective marketing clients or our current marketing clients, um, you know, as well, really hits the nail on the head for what they need, right? That, so that honestly, at some of our recent campaigns and the state of spend and our ability to turn it into account-based marketing campaigns, um, are some of my favorite. I think one of the reasons I love my job, it's a lot of fun to be able to see and talk to CMOs across a bunch of different industries. Like I get to do a lot of different CMO huddles and spend time with, um, you know, executives from all kinds of different industries. And I, I personally just find that super interesting and compelling, but then you, you learn like what really matters to a lot of executives as they're trying to drive their companies forward. Uh, a couple client examples that I always think are s- sort of interesting. Um, there's uh, uh, Advanced Auto Parts is a client of ours, and they used to do um, advertising through our channel focused primarily or almost solely on new customer acquisition. You know, they had their own way of measuring what does a loyal customer look like. If they buy with us X times a year, then yeah, we don't need to touch them. CRM's got it. But we, we worked with them and we did a bit of analysis to actually show that, okay, wait a minute, what they were classing as loyal customers were actually just really heavy category shoppers. These were people who really liked to fix up their cars. And they weren't just spending advanced auto, they were spending you know, equal amounts or more with their competitive set. And so we were able to open up the targeting for the campaigns for advanced auto and drive you know, millions more in incremental sales. So those kinds of things are interesting and compelling because it allows us to sort of Hey, I love being able to help other companies win. That's great. And you, as we talked about in the beginning, but you know, I'm a soccer player and so also a competitive individual. And it feels good when you, you're a team with your clients. But then from a marketing standpoint, we can take those kinds of stories about how we help others back into our marketing materials. Um, those are really the best ways for us to go to market by being able to show really clearly and with a lot of detail um, the kinds of problems that we can solve through what's what's a really unique channel in, in the world, like being able to reach people when they're thinking about their money and do they want to try to spend on this versus that. Um, you know, it all sort of comes full circle for us. Well, in marketing, we don't, uh, we don't make mistakes. Uh, we just make happy accidents, <laughs> much like Bob Ross tells us. So do you have any favorite, uh, favorite learning experiences along the way? Yeah, although I've got to do, I'll do a little aside for a moment because we at Cardlytics love our Halloween. And uh, a few years ago, we did have a Bob Ross Halloween where you either um, dress as Bob Ross, you dress as a happy tree, you dress as a, uh, you know, a, a canvas. And, you know, we may have may not have had some of us wearing real trees on our heads. So um, we're all about the happy accidents. Um, you know, I think, you know, we definitely never get everything right. You know, we definitely never get anything right. I think there are some things that we've done as a team that, you know, have not been terribly inspired and maybe it's a little bit too broad in our messaging. And, you know, you take feedback from clients and be like, what are you doing that? You know, it doesn't mean anything to me. I think what I've learned over the last five years and honestly, even my, in my career marketing technology is getting feedback from the folks that we're trying to talk to and just having an open dialogue. I think my, my biggest takeaway on what I used to do to what I do now is how we write as marketers and making sure that we're writing in a way that's human and accessible. And honestly, like it's, it's so easy to write the way your company speaks. 
but it's really, really hard to read something with fresh eyes and to make sure that you're marketing in a way that matters and makes sense. Like if you have to read something twice, too complicated. If you have to, if you have to dig for the aha, like we're looking for it, the folks that we're trying to address aren't. So how do you really hone your marketing message to something that resonates and is, and is described in a human way um, and not too inside baseball? I think, you know, those are the things that I'm still learning every day, but like, I think that we as a team at Carlytics have improved upon over time to make sure that we're really speaking with our customers and getting feedback on, um, you know, what matters and does this make sense to you or are we just, you know, it's, it's super easy. We're a super data informed shop, if you will. So like just speaking with the way that we're used to speaking internally does not always fly. Um, and it certainly doesn't make sense when addressing uh, a different audience that does not know or care about us yet. If a company wanted to increase focus on customer loyalty and engagement and they, there's one thing, what's your silver bullet that they could do to, uh, to drive better, you know, customer loyalty? Mm, good question. Well, I think the first place to start is to figure out what you don't know. And I'll, I'll explain. Like you got to start from a place to drive better customer loyalty and engagement. You need to understand first how loyal your customers really are. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of companies have you know, all kinds of different models and different ways of getting surveys. Um, I think there's usually more headroom in a category than a lot of brands realize, you know? And so I think the way that we work with our clients, you have to start with what you know. Um, and if you only know what people are shopping with you, how often they're shopping with you, you don't really know how loyal they are. It's a, it's a bit of a myopic view. So that's always the starting point. I mean, you know, the delivery of our campaigns through this amazing channel is how we bring it to bear, but all of our marketing you know, relationships really start from a place of, well, let's help you understand how much headroom do you actually have? Um, and I'll give an example. There's a, you know, a major mass merchandiser, a major company that we work with. And um, a couple of years ago, we were having a conversation with their CMO and we're like, all right, well, where do you think your customers shop when they're not shopping with you? Not just in your category, um, but across all, you know, he had some really good guesses and some of them hit the top 10 the number one brand that they competed with was a, like a, a craft store. And he's like, well, wait, we don't have a craft department. And, he's, and we're like, oh, okay, like something to consider. So I think understanding where your customers are spending their money when they're not spending with you, it matters not just for how you compete against your own competitive set. It helps you understand how do I gain loyalty to them by perhaps adding a craft section or, or affecting my merchandising decisions or informing my ad creative with something that's going to speak to my customer, um, new or existing, you know, but for, to drive further loyalty, really understanding what matters to that customer. You know, we do it through purchase data. Obviously every good marketer worth their salt does it through all kinds of different ways, but um, really understanding what is your customer up to and what matters to them is, is the way to do it. Yeah, that's such a great point that most folks just are looking at uh, at their own data to figure out how yeah. people are, are doing things and not looking at the broader ecosystem. And it's like, well, everybody yeah. buys from us on on Tuesdays. <laughs> and it's like, well, actually, yeah. the majority of people buy on Mondays, but your store is too busy on Mondays. Um, so exactly. people avoid you or whatever it is. Yeah. That's a great example. Great example. And it, listen, first party data 
crucial. It's crucial. It's still so important. Like having, having your first party data in order and understanding, you know, how are consumers shopping in store with you? How are you shopping online with you? Like that's still so crucial and getting an understanding of, you know, what is, how do you actually drive them back and forth between channels? Like first party data. And we see that too, but a lot of companies have great first party data where they can see that, all right, wow. If somebody shops both in store and online with me, and this is in normal days when we actually go to stores, but um, you know, if they're shopping in line and on store online and in store with me, they spend, you know, 50 to 80% more with me. And so using your own first party data can get you only so far. Uh, but yeah, it does help. And honestly, so, you know, we do have a couple rare cases where, you know, clients work with us to help inform other larger decisions. And of course, they're massive advertisers on our platform. It's not a normal off the shelf thing, but helps them figure out where to place real estate. You know, what is, what is an interesting place for us to put a store because we know what other stores are around us and what does our consumer like to spend on. You can solve some pretty interesting problems if you look at a broader set of the right data. There's a whole lot of junk out there too, but a broader set of the right data. Well, speaking of the right data, let's let's get to the right questions here in our lightning <laughs> round. These questions oh, are okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Get ready. Strap in. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. They've been with us since the very beginning of marketing trends. We love Salesforce. Check them out. Salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round questions. Danny, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, who is your favorite Everton player of all time? Uh, Duncan Ferguson. Uh, yep Duncan Ferguson although I've named all three of my kids after Evertonians as well so also love Kendall Graham Sharp and Joe Mercer what app on your phone is the most fun uh Headspace what habit have you picked up during shelter in place Mm, eating dinner with my family every night what is your unknown skill or any well really any type of unknown talent (laughs) Um, I, I play three instruments. I play the piano, the saxophone, and the oboe, although the piano is really one, the only one I, uh, I still play. And I'm sort of miserably trying to teach my children during this time as well. But um, yeah, the piano is a, a very relaxing release for me. If you weren't a CMO, what do you think you'd be doing? I'd love to say professional soccer player, but was never quite good enough. Um, you know, an artist of some sort like being able to communicate through something visual or through words. So probably some kind of an artist. So this isn't necessarily lightning round uh, style, but I, I forgot to ask you, was there any, uh, any, any hardship transitioning from, uh, from sports into uh, and, and sports partnerships and, mm-hmm. and those sort of things into, uh, into marketing? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And, um, you know, I'd always been on the marketing side of sports and, this won't be a lightning round answer. <laughs> I'll try to keep it shorter, but you know, working, I worked at uh, Sirius XM before I got into marketing technology. And so it's a super sexy job, right? You go and like, I was working with Derek Jeter and David Ortiz and Cal Ripken and Mark Messier. And it's a super interesting, um, super interesting job. And when I first decided to get out of sports, um, you know, as a marketer, I just wanted a, a broader span of, what I got to do. You know, I really wanted to tackle market research and product marketing 
And how do you actually have maybe not so directed and narrow a path? Um, although, albeit super interesting and fun, um, I wanted to tackle more as a marketer and, and try different things. I will say when I first switched over, I left um, Sirius XM and went to a company called Millennial Media, who's now part of Verizon Media. Um, you know, went, was able to go through the IPO with them and, and left soon before they were acquired by AOL and then Verizon. Um, but I will say, you know, I think I went from doing like Major League Baseball All-Star Game one month and then some mobile marketing conference at some rinky-dink hotel. And I was like, oh, man, what have I done? It certainly, you know, it did not have the flash. And so that took a, that took a while to sort of back up and be like, yeah, but I did this because I want to grow as a marketer and I wanted to try something different. And so, you know, a weekend, you're like, oh, yeah, no, I did this for the right reasons. But I will say it, it was a little bit of a culture shock moving from something that was, you know, so high profile, interesting to something that um, you can make your difference in a, in a longer, maybe less direct way over time. And, and technologies, being able to market technology is super interesting. And, you know, I sit on the board for a, a not-for-profit here in Atlanta called Women in Technology. Um, which is all about helping underserved young girls and women find their way through STEAM and, and try to find, help them understand like what other options. And there's so much power in being able to do that kind of stuff and to be, you know, a woman executive in a, in a public technology company um, has been really, really rewarding. And whether you're a man or a woman, it can be so rewarding to try to show young people what you can do through STEAM. Um, and how, you know, my job is not the technologist, but although as marketers, we are also that, but to be able to help enunciate what the power of technology is. And that's been, I'm so glad for the change. Um, you know, that was, it was culture shock to begin with, but it has been super welcome. And I still am so happy for uh, the choices that I've made. Last question of our lightning round. What is your best advice for a first time CMO? When you come in, listen. And when you, when you come in, audit and understand before you try to solve. You'll easily be able to get some quick wins. Um, you know, there's some really obvious stuff to do and you want to post those to the wall. But there are a lot of people who have the history of what you need right in front of you and setting up time with those people in the company and understanding what worked, what didn't work, why. You know, it can help you get to the answers you need a lot faster than if you just hit the ground running without listening first. Awesome. Well, that's it. That's all we have for today. Denny, any final thoughts, anything to plug? Obviously, our, our, our listeners should check out cardlytics.com uh, to learn more about all the cool stuff we talked about today. Yeah, no, that's great. I've really enjoyed the time. Thank you. It's fun being able to wax poetic on marketing, um, especially in a technology company when you're, you know, you got a small marketing team and not everybody likes to geek out on the marketing discussions as much as we do. So I've appreciated the time today. It was nice chatting with you. Yeah, well, we love it. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> we'll have to uh, we'll have to have you back soon. Take care. Thank you. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, 
we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.